Welcome to episode 20 of the Invited Along podcast. Hello world, this is Juan. And this is Quentin. We're an international couple traveling around the world for love, work, and the pursuit of wonder. Through this podcast, we invite you to come along with us as we discover places near and far while treading lightly and not breaking the bank. Last week, we reached the coastal town of Yanis, where we took a small break on our pilgrimage. At this point, we're pretty much halfway through, which means we still have plenty to explore. So where did we go that week? Good question, Quentin. So it's time for takeoff, where we talk about our itinerary. This week, we purposefully stayed in smaller towns to make sure that we can reach the albergues that are not too busy. After staying in Yanis for one rest day, we made our way to a beautiful albergue in a small hamlet called Pineras de Priya, before heading back to the coast and specifically to a small town called La Isla. From La Isla, we went to the albergue Fierreria, and the following day we pushed to the next large city, Hihong. No albergue problems here, because we had actually reserved a night at the AC Marriott Hotel, which we booked using 17,000 Marriott points. After a relaxing night and a huge complimentary breakfast buffet, we took a bus to Avielis, another fairly large city directly neighboring Hihong. From there, we started walking and reached the next stop of Moros de Nelon, but we ran into a bit of a problem. <laughs> yes. All right, let's not spoil the surprise, which we will get into in more detail in the turbulence section. So for now, let's move on to the in-flight entertainment, starting with... Pineres de Priya. The highlight at Pineres de Priya was this albergue called Albergue Casa Rectoral, which means that it belonged to the church next to it. And this truly was a beautiful albergue. Of course, with a great view comes a great climb. You have to really earn that view. It was very beautiful and it was sandwiched between views of the ocean and the mountains. In the morning, the volunteer who worked at the albergue woke us up, I think around seven, right? Mm -hmm. And he played some sort of a religious chant. And it was really funny because it was so unexpected. Quentin woke up and he said something hilarious, which was, am I dead? Because it really felt like you were in heaven or hell, depending on what you did in this life. We also want to give a shout out to Benji, Sophia, and Sven, who stayed at this albergue with us. After we left this beautiful albergue, we had a gorgeous coastal walk with many cliffs and beaches, but of course no swimming or sunbathing at this point because it was very cold actually, and we ended up at an albergue in La Isla. And this was actually a very nice albergue as well, and we met quite a few people, including we met up with our friend Flo unexpectedly. Flo was actually biking the Camino, but he was so chatty and friendly and met so many walkers that he was basically going at the speed of the walkers. So we actually got to run into him again. We typically don't run into cyclists because they're usually so much faster than the walkers. And alas, we had to say goodbye to our friends Ted and Sam, who were splitting off to go to the Camino Primitivo, which is a separate route that gets you to Santiago, and they had wanted to take that route for even more seclusion. Yeah, this was a really uh, bittersweet moment because we had met Ted and Sam 
I think on a third or fourth day, and we actually kept on bumping in with them. If you remember, we mentioned we even celebrated Sam's birthday when we were staying in Santillana del Mar. So this was really a, a bit of a sad moment. But at the same time, that is the nature of the Camino, that the friends you're going to make are going to stay in your heart, but they're not going to be physically there after a while. After La Isla, we made our way to a small town called Amandi, which is actually a couple of kilometers off Villa Viciosa, which is the larger town around that area. It was actually the largest town we had encountered in a good two weeks, I would say. What was very noticeable about that day is that it was the first day with pouring rain. We've had a couple of days with a bit of a sprinkle beforehand, where we used the ponchos, but basically by the time we put on the ponchos, we were done with them. But today was that day was not the case. We put on ponchos and then we still had rain for two hours and it was pouring. So really glad we got those ponchos. They worked perfectly well. We still got soaked below the knee because that's where our ponchos stopped. And we did not own any waterproof clothes. So we stopped at a cafe in the morning to try to avoid the worst of the rain. We actually met uh, Bernardo who is a, an architect from Mexico, uh, but has worked a bit all over the US and knows the US very well, and actually went to school in the US, I believe. We had already heard of him, which was very interesting because we mentioned how Sam, for example, described the Camino as a walking village, and that really had the sense of, you know, we meet someone that we've actually heard about from the other inhabitants of the village. It's like, oh yeah, Bernardo, he's the architect of the village. So we actually, we ended up meeting with him, it's very nice, and he had this very profound saying that we kept as a bit of a motto for the rest of the walk, which was, pain is unavoidable, but suffering is optional. And it really resonated with us, especially with Juan. The rest of the walk was pretty uneventful, pretty tough, but thankfully we bumped into Carl and Leslie, who we had already met in Yanis, and they are both retired endurance athletes from the Pacific Northwest. Let me tell you, when you are walking with Carl and Leslie, you are walking faster than you've ever walked in your life. So the last bit of our trip, we uh, the last bit of that stage, we walked in like two hours instead of maybe three and a half, if not four. It was exhilarating. After a quick stop in Villa Viciosa, we made our way to the albergue in Amandi, which is called La Ferreria and is run by Manco Sergio. And it is an absolutely amazing albergue. I think my favorite albergue experience of the whole trip so far. He made uh, his own home-cooked food, delicious paella and a sort of bread pudding for dessert. And there was just one large table with everyone who was staying there the night, just having conversations in like five different languages. We had English, Spanish, German, Italian, French, etc., and what's more, when we were staying there, we also met with Cordula. Cordula is a household name on the Camino because she is the writer of the most popular German version of the Camino Guides. Well, they're known as the Red Books. In, in Germany, a lot of people use those Red Book Guides to go through the Caminos, the very older, different Caminos. And Cordula is the one writing them. So we actually stayed there. We were also staying with Benjamin, Sophia and Sven. And they actually got an autograph. They actually got a signed copy of the Red Book uh, for them. So she was definitely for us a big Camino celebrity sighting. From there, we headed down to Gijón, which is another large city in the northern part of Spain. Now, before Gijón, there are two very well-known steep hills. 
but they were not as bad of an ascent as the Basque Country. But it was definitely the steepest that we had to climb in weeks. And just before Gijón is also where the Camino splits between the rest of the Camino del Norte route and the Primitivo route. So you can actually see the two wayward markers kind of split in different directions. And in Gijón, of course, we got our Marriott Hotel stay, which is a super cozy and comfy stay as compared to all of the albergue experiences. But unfortunately, it was really far from central Gijón, so we actually did not have a chance to visit the city of Gijón. From Gijón, we took the bus to Avielis. And the reason why we took a bus for this chunk of the route was because my walking guide said that it was the worst stage of the Camino del Norte and not worth walking due to the industrial sprawl. So instead, we just took a quick bus and ended up at the albergue there. I was feeling a little bit under the weather, so we mostly rested. And even though I had already taken a rest day in Gijón, I don't know, sometimes when you take rest days, the day after can actually be even worse because your body was used to walking every day instead of taking that break and it needed just some rest. But we were able to walk through Avielis from the bus station to the albergue and saw the old town, which was actually incredibly gorgeous. The following day, we were able to continue our path, uh, starting from Vieres and reaching the little town of Moros de Nalon. It was a, essentially a pretty uneventful walk, except Juan still felt pretty sick, and I started to feel under the weather too. Around noon in particular, I was starting to feel a bit faint. I thought, oh, maybe it's the sun or something. So we got to the albergue, we showered, we rested a bit, but we were still not feeling great. So we decided to go to a pharmacy, we did a COVID test, and it came back positive for Juan. So Juan had caught the COVID for the first time. Actually, neither of us had gotten COVID since the start of the pandemic. We're both triple vaccinated. We both spent a lot of time getting tested when we were living in the US. So we've never had an issue, but unfortunately caught up with us. So from there, we had to grab our stuff from the albergue. We found a pension where we could quarantine and we got there as quickly as we could. We just stopped to buy some food, obviously with the masks on. Uh, so we could stay there while we shelter. So that was the big surprise of this week, and we can discuss it a bit more in the next section. Yep, so for turbulence this week, we have a pretty obvious contender. Yeah, absolutely. For us, that was the first time catching COVID. It was definitely not fun. I mean, there's something about just staying quarantine and... It was a bit of a mandatory rest, but of course, for the first couple of days, we felt really sick. We both had a fever. We both had coughing. We both were not sleeping that much. I mean, we're not sleeping well, but we had to sleep a bunch. We got better quite quickly. Thankfully, it was a pretty mild case, and but still was not really fun. We did take the opportunity to watch all of Sandman, which was a show I really wanted to see on Netflix. It was really good. And we ate a lot of industrially produced pain chocolat, which is the sponsor food of COVID quarantine. You can eat it easily. It's got carbs, it's got sugar. That's what you want. We can take this opportunity to discuss a bit how we handled having COVID whilst on a Camino. The first thing we did, of course, was getting the rapid tests at the pharmacy, those 15 minutes tests. They are readily available in any pharmacy. They cost under three euros a piece. So it's really easy to get. However, as always with Spain, you have to be aware of siesta. Sometimes the pharmacies are closed. 
And if you are not familiar with Europe, I will add that pharmacies, you can find them in any town because they have a big, bright, green plus as a sign on the side of the uh, shop. So if you're not familiar with that, if you're from the US or something, you might not know that, but in Europe, all the pharmacies have this really big, it's a bright green plus sign that's attached to uh, the, uh, the building for you to find the pharmacy easily. I would say, how did we catch it? We don't really know, but I would say the mask mandates in Spain are pretty relaxed. They're only on public transport and taxis. We typically do not see people wearing masks. And I would say another issue we've had is that there really is a lack of soap at albergues and mean cafes, which are the places we go to the toilet, right? Or to go shower. We do not have a home currently, so every time we use soap, it's, it, it is at cafes or at albergues. But it's a really big issue because very often there is no soap. The thing has been removed, it's empty, there's no dispenser, stuff like that. So it's a really big issue and we urge you to bring hand sanitizer or a little thing of soap with you. It really, I think, would help a lot. We had hand sanitizer, but maybe that was not enough. And we were not the only pilgrims who got COVID. So I think, again, that's proof that it might be a hygiene issue there. And what we did is then we immediately booked into a hotel and we quarantined for four nights at about 40 euros per night. Obviously more expensive than an albergue, but that way we were able to stay in a private room. We were not in contact with anybody. We just had us and our germs. That's all. After that, for the rest of the trip, we decided, okay, we're only going to book private hotel rooms with bathrooms that are private to from here on out. But we'll talk a bit more about that in our next episode. I would say the silver lining of it is that the days we were in quarantine, it actually rained a lot. And our quarantine was located on the Camino. So if we had not been quarantined, we would have had to walk these stages under pouring rain. So at least we avoided that. Another silver lining for me was actually the day that we tested positive was the day that I developed shin splints. So I was planning to keep on walking but I was in so much pain in both my legs. And because we were in quarantine, I basically just slept and let my body recover for four days. And by the time that we were ready to walk again, my leg pains were basically gone. However, this was kind of a big turbulence week. In addition to COVID, we had also some other turbulences, one of which is a fellow walker and I kind of had a confrontation at the albergue in La Isla. I was making small talk with some fellow pilgrims over dinner, and these were high school graduate girls from Germany. So I didn't want to use super complicated English to chat with them. You know, they're quite young. They were quite shy about speaking English. So I was trying to use like the smallest words possible and speak in a way that's very understandable. So we started chatting and I said something along the lines of, oh, this is a really great trip to take after your graduation. And sitting on the end of the table was another man who was kind of listening into our conversation. But, you know, it was a big, long dining table and everyone was kind of just joining in. And he got super mad at me. <laughs> and he said, this is a Catholic pilgrimage. And if you're doing it for any other reasons, you are wrong. And he, <laughs> this was like the theme of my conversation with him. Basically, after dinner, he pulled me aside and continued to have this conversation where every other sentence coming out of his mouth as he was mansplaining the world to me was, 
this is wrong or you are wrong. And actually, I fact-checked some of the things that he said that I was wrong about, and I was definitely not wrong. And the way he was correcting me was really condescending. In addition to like, you're wrong. You know, I did not know about, he's from Portugal, and he's very proud of Portuguese heritage, etc. And I didn't know that the American milk industry was like pioneered by Portuguese immigrants who settled in the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay, I did not know this fact. And because I didn't know it, he's like, what have you been doing with your time? You need to go back to your history books and read about these Portuguese immigrants and the contributions to the milk industry in America. I was like, oh my goodness. I mean, why can't you just tell it to me? Like, oh, fun fact, did you know? No, it was like, I can't believe how dumb and ignorant you are for not knowing this. So I was getting increasingly angry and eventually I extricated myself from this conversation. But it was just like a very uncomfortable conversation. And I felt trapped into having this conversation with him. So I did not enjoy that. Yeah, I want to add that the reason why I did not participate in this conversation is I did not know it was happening. Apparently, the Portuguese man just cornered Juan and started berating her for not being knowledgeable about Portuguese accomplishment in the 15th century or something like that. I didn't know. I was just having a conversation with Flo, our, our biking <laughs> friend from Norway. And then we ended up talking about it the following day. I felt very bad that I was not able to kind of participate in that in that sort of clash that she was having with the Portuguese man. <laughs> yes. And he belonged to some religious brotherhood. And basically he's retired and his calling currently is to walk the Camino like five months out of the year to quote, help people. So I I don't know, maybe he saw me and he's like, this lady needs to be helped. So he came at me. So that's what happened. In addition, there was another little thing that made me a little bit uncomfortable this week on the Camino, which was one of the albergues. So this is actually the albergue we checked into the day I went and got a COVID test. And it was called Fali's Albergue. And what had made me very uncomfortable about this albergue was it was an Asian-themed albergue, but the proprietor was from Austria, and he was most certainly not Asian. So what I mean by Asian-themed, I mean when we get our credentials stamped at every albergue, you know, it's a record that you've been somewhere. His had like a Chinese word, qi on it. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. He had it mowed into his lawn from some of the Google images. He had Tibetan prayer flags. He had those like waving cats. You know what I mean? Like the, the little statues that wave. He had some Buddha sculptures. And then he had really strange signs all over the albergue with the Fu Manchu character. So it was like Fu Manchu pointing you to the bathroom, Fu Manchu pointing you to the backyard. It was just a really strange and uncomfortable like cultural appropriation vibe. So I was already like not super happy that we were there and it was a communal dinner and I was like worried, should I say something? I'm not sure or ask him why this theme but I didn't have to because I was actually like saved by COVID from having this conversation. But we went back masked 
And we told him, you know, we tested positive for COVID and immediately his demeanor changed. He was not concerned about our welfare at all. And instead he was just like, get out of my sight as soon as possible. And it was just a, it was not a, a good experience. But it wasn't all doom and gloom. So let's shift and talk a little bit about the positive side of our week. So for me, you know, in stark contrast to Fali's albergue was, of course, Sergio's albergue. It was just such a nice reprieve from the rain, beautiful communal dinner. It was really a highlight on the entire trip, actually. And I really appreciated the fact that he had some statistics of walkers who stayed at his albergue. And I was really chuffed to see that his statistics included things like the number of dogs who visited that year and the number of donkeys. If you didn't know this, it is possible to walk with a donkey on the Camino. I think there's even a donkey rental service. The donkeys will not carry your bags. They have to carry their own food and not all albergues except donkeys. So there's only a list of select albergues where you can park your donkey. But it was just funny to see that as an actual statistic. Yeah, there's not many albergues that will accept donkeys, but Sergio's will. That's the kind of guy Sergio is. He sees you coming with a donkey and he says, yes, come in. I have paella <laughs> and food for the donkey. So yeah, it was a really good time. And for me, if I had to choose my flying high moment, obviously the albergue, this albergue was amazing. But I would say in general, spending time, again, walking with Benji and Sofia and Sven, as well as Flo, who we met, you know, again, the, the Norwegian guy. Just, again, when you spend more time walking with those people and you sort of see them over several days, you really get to learn what kind of people they are and sort of what their hopes and dreams and thoughts and feelings are. It's really a good opportunity to really get to learn how to know people, uh, get to know people in depth. And I find that every person that we've met was very interesting, very nice, just lovely, lovely people. So we had a great time walking with them. Well, not every person. Well, not the Portuguese man. <laughs> Every person that we actually engage with for, for a while. <laughs> All right. So we are going to leave it here for this week and we'll get back on the road and closer to Santiago more than ever for next week. In the meantime, we love it if you can follow us on Instagram at invitealongpodcast. Or you can reach us by email at invitealong at gmail.com. So long for now. Bye-bye.